Has it been 150 Distazapods already? Can that be possible? It is possible. You've listened to 150 of these. You've listened to me talk for, boy, how many hours? Too many hours, let's say that much. Uh, thank you guys. We've made it to a major milestone. Distazapod, 150, big, jumbo-sized, questions and answers. Let's go. So quick little recap, State of the Union, etc., etc. I've just finished packing uh, the most amount of orders that we've ever gotten in a single day. This past sale, the Subsidy Supply Drop Finale, was a record breaker on many levels. Very surprising sale, tons of new information and data that I never really considered. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, we shattered pretty much every record there is. Um, we had the most amount of people queued up, sort of uh, visitors to the site. We broke that record. Previously was held by the sale right before that. We had, let's see, a single um, highest gross uh, within 15 minutes. I like to sort of use different metrics to, um, you know, just as sort of like personal best. I, I check in, you know, what's the sale count in two minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, hour, etc. And uh, we smoked all those previous records. I actually think that there was a bottleneck that people couldn't check out quick enough um, to sort of have the sales register. The numbers were sort of moving in real time as I was looking at the screen, which uh, has never happened before. Usually there's a, you know, there's a lull in sales. It's not boom, 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 boom. So that was, that was very interesting. Uh, I would speculate, but I haven't pulled this up and verified most amount of new customers also. I saw a ton of brand new names of people I'd never seen before. Uh, somehow our reach is really organically, uh, you know, getting out there in a big way. Maybe you guys have been sharing, reposting, things like that. If you have, then thank you. Um, so, uh, fascinatingly though, not a ton of stuff sold out. And all of the quantities of items were somewhat diminished from a normal release. This was not uh, the maximum amount of inventory that I would carry in a normal public sale. Why is that? Well, as best as I can sort of figure out, despite our, you know, the sales gross record and everything else that we broke, uh, when there are that number of items, people generally tend to buy one to three that they like. There's not a ton of people that buy one of everything when it's sort of five items or more. I, I think that that's what I've gleaned from this process. So if you have a ton of customers and a bunch of different SKUs, people are gonna choose the ones that they like the best and they're gonna check out. And overall that equals more sales, um, but doesn't necessarily sell out the SKUs. So pretty fascinating that we were able to without selling out, achieve, you know, such a big critical number. The big star of the sale is, of course, the Adjudicator Vector Jump, which I actually didn't think, uh, you know, I was kind of wondering, would people respond to it? You know, it was a dramatic change in the color of the armor from the concept art, but he uh, did 
tremendously well. And that is actually, as I stand today, the one style that has sold through completely. Um, very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to you guys getting these in hand. I think it's going to be great. I also, I really didn't know what to expect with this sale because the reality is most of my customers that never miss a sale, that, that alpha group, these are typically also patrons, um, they had already ordered these items. You know, they were already on order. Because of the shipping craziness of the world today, I was not actually able to send out pre-orders early. They are sort of ahead in the queue to get labels slapped on the boxes. But it, it would have been nice if people that pre-ordered in November could have had their order a few days before the sale. That was my original goal. And FedEx and the larger logistics picture of the world stage had different ideas. Um, so not much I could do there. Now, that being said, I know the last two sales I have not had the opportunity to do an early advance sale for patrons. And I don't like that. I like to you know, try to get stuff out ahead of time for those people that are paying for the privilege of not just hearing my wonderful dulcet tones, but also, uh, you know, con contributing to the community in a, a bigger monetary way. So uh, I'm going to focus on that now. I'm going to sort of switch my brain over once these packages all have labels on them. And I'm going to, I'm just going to have tunnel vision for one, getting Action Figure of the Month July out to people, and two, Toy Pizza Con, which uh, we're currently scheduled, I believe it's July 11th, it's going to be online, we will have an event page up in the very near future, maybe even by the time that this is uh, posted, uh, I'm going to focus on what that is going to be, and, and obviously Toy Pizza Con is going to be a huge unveiling of Toy Pizza Con exclusives, um... So that means I want to give patrons an advance ability to order a bundle of those uh, ahead of time. Toy Pizza Con is going to feature a couple reveals that are going to be really quite dynamite. And I think everybody's very excited to hear what's next for Knights of the Slice. And we're going to, you know, it's going to be the one time a year where we actually peel back the curtain and, and substantially tease out what's coming next. Now, patrons get teases all the time and they get to see stuff in advance this is like think of it as our new york toy fair essentially and um that should tell you everything you need to know so calendar wise we've gotten past two big milestones here we had our sale on the 15th we had our sale on the 22nd and now it's going to be slumber time theoretically for the store uh i'm going to try to get action figure of the month club for July into people's hands on or around I would say the 6th of July that will coincide nicely with the ramp up to Toy Pizza Con later that week on the 11th. Toy Pizza Con of course is online this year it will be an hour-long stream with special guests everybody can watch for free we will be streaming on multiple platforms should be pretty easy to uh, find us and tune in um, and then when the stream is done, I will turn the store on and everybody can go and purchase all the wonderful exclusives that are in line. I think that's going to be great. Um, another quick piece of housekeeping regarding Patreon. I have to limit the tiers for the time being because the gifts 
that I like to give my patrons at the $25 and $50 levels. Typically, it's a material style figure. I'm quickly realizing I don't have enough or I won't have enough if the serious pace of Patreon continues. So I believe we only have 10 slots left for people who want to upgrade or join at those levels. Um, the best time to do it would be July 1st or July 2nd. Some people are probably going to have um, transaction issues every month on Patreon. There's always transaction issues. People's cards are expired. You know, they get declined, etc., and they get punted if they don't remedy it. Um, I think that for the immediate future, the slots for these two tiers are going to be somewhat in demand. Just judging off of the trajectory and the accelerated pace in which people are signing up, thankfully, for the Patreon. So take that into consideration. Um, I have some good gifts that will be announced soon for July. I do actually think it's it will be the best month so far. Um, try to be strategic. If you can hold out until July 1st and those slots are still open, that's the best time to do it. If you signed up, you know, anytime before then, I think you get charged for June and then you get charged again for July. It's a little hazy as, you know, as somebody on the other side of Patreon, I don't always see how those transaction works. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, as far as my best guess is, I think that if you, uh, if you want to join around July 1st is probably the best time to do it. You're not going to want to miss the material boy that, uh, comes with that. So I think that's everything we have to talk about. Uh, Keep an eye out because you're going to start getting shipping notifications. Thank you for those of you that waited so patiently for the Dr. Matt and, and uh, Chameleon Lime Franken slices to get bundled up and sent out. This has been an extremely taxing time in, in terms of our logistics and packages and, and stuff like that. So I do apologize that's taken longer than I wanted. Uh, and then keep your eyes peeled around the 6th of July for Action Figure of the Month to start arriving. And temporarily, mark your calendar for July 11th, Toy PizzaCon. Honestly, this bundle of exclusives is going to blow your mind. It's going to be very intense. I'm putting everything on the table, and maybe it'll be a flop. I don't know. But uh, I've been saving some really fantastic styles, some new types of figures, paint decos, things like that. been saving them for a special occasion, and this is it. So if we can just get to July 11th, then I can finally rest. So now let's finally get to questions and answers. I'm going to start with my esteemed patrons. Coming up first is Brent Lawson. At some point, do you think we may see another accessory pack with new weapons? Also, how many racing teams will we see in Turbo Atoll? Uh, just wanted to add that the comic scavenger hunt has been a lot of fun to watch on Discord. Thank you, Brent. I bet people who aren't patrons or not on the Discord are scratching their heads in wonderment at this wonderful scavenger hunt that's going on, of which I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, will we see another accessory pack with new weapons? Uh, let me think of how to phrase this. How about, how about I say this? Check back in at Toy Pizza Con. And you might have an answer there. I would also say that weapons themselves are less interesting to me. The thing I really need is like 
character-specific heads. There's a couple characters I've wanted to do for a while, and I feel like I'm at a position where I can sort of take a chance on that. So, um, if I had to choose, I think a a tool, a accessory tool that featured like a new set of limbs and heads might be more interesting and better value than just weapons. Um, at this point, also, we have a pretty good arsenal. You know, we got the uh, submachine gun with Hyper Knight. We got, um, oh, almost said stuff hasn't been released. <laughs> we got a couple shotguns. We got all, this, all the gear that comes with ha Hacker Man. Um, so that's where my head's at today, anyway. Moving on to Danny Williford. That Spice Fleet teaser pick really hooked me. Is that a spaceship, space ship cockpit? You can see why I got caught up there. A playset or custom setting? Maybe a STNG shuttle? Also in Spice Fleet, are the red shirts doomed? Um, so I'm going to once again say check back at Toy Pizza Con for a little more information about that picture. It is a, a bit of a teaser. So we'll talk more about that on July 11th. Um, red shirts are not doomed in Spice Fleet. For those who have read like the little story snippet, uh, I'm trying to... I mean, obviously it's an homage to Star Trek. It's a love letter to that. But I'm trying to kind of find a way to navigate in that setup, in that story structure, without, like, just troping it to death, you know, without sort of repeating the very expected jokes and, and things that would come with doing a Star Trek parody. So, um, you know, I haven't... I, I wouldn't say that necessarily Red Shirts are doomed in... For that set, for that four-pack, the red shirt is actually, he's a real ass-kicker. Kenneth West says, What would your theoretical plan be were Knights of Slice ever to become too successful uh, with what is now essentially a one-man operation? Um, I would actually say that we're there. I am extremely exhausted. Uh, I'm just trying to get to Toy Pizza Con and I'm going to try to pause the store somewhere in between there so I can just kind of rest and reset my brain. Uh, it's it's too much volume for one person. I thankfully have a little bit of help here with people close to me, throwing some labels on the boxes I do. But we're, we are at the, the breaking point where this project is way too much for one person. But it's not so much, it's not big enough that it can necessitate hiring other people. And the pandemic also complicates the proposition of hiring another person. Now, I talked at great length towards the end of last year about moving to a third-party fulfillment center. If I had done that, they would just now be opening, and all my inventory would have been sitting in that warehouse untouchable. Because I warehouse everything here at the workshop, I was able to still make a living as people were sort of out of work and laid up and had nothing to do but kind of shop online. If I had made that transition earlier in January, uh, I would have been screwed, no question. If I still had staff that was kept on, I would have had to lay them off. I would have had to furlough them or fire them or God knows what. If I had people still coming in and working in this workshop, there's a very real, you know, however minuscule health risk for exposure for both of us. So, um, you know, 
I, you know, I, I don't know what the plan is other than I'm going to try to take it easier on myself. I have added the extra seven day window for shipping, which most people understand. And, you know, that has greatly benefited me. But, um, you know, as far as like this being too big to be a one man show, we're, we're well beyond that. And, uh, I still am optimistic though, that, uh, you know, this is a better position to be in than the alternative where nobody can afford to buy anything or I'm out of work or I can't sell my stuff. So, you know, I will get through this. I'll work it through. Um, and I'll continue to ponder that question. Jerry Bow has a, a really good question here. Uh, if Frankenstein cause so much labor and loss and dissatisfaction, why continue doing them? And uh, Eric Valverde chimed in below, and I thought he, you know, he had a, a nice paragraph, so I'm going to read it for you guys. Eric says, While a small minority may be dissatisfied with quantity dispersion, I didn't get that tone from the pod. More so, Jesse got a certain amount of enjoyment doing them. He said the process was therapeutic for him just to sit in the shop and put together some figures. Also, he has spoken a few times of how he doesn't like the restriction and and can be spontaneous. So I would guess being able to build a figure is way... Uh, sorry, I'm totally... My, my brain is fried here. Is a way to very much exercise that be-in-the-now mood. He has mentioned that the specialness of having a figure that is handmade or sought after uh, seems he appreciates the enjoyment customers get from them. Anyways, that's what I picked up from him. And yeah, I think, Eric, you you know, you hit on quite a few different things. I, I guess, um, you know, look, I'm a hot-headed creative type, right? And uh, because 90% of my day is just focused on Nights of the Slice... Uh, I tend to be a sensitive individual when it comes to Knights of the Slice. And uh, this whole pandemic has just made me sort of be further burrowed underground and just focused on this stuff. And that's not great for like a healthy, balanced psyche at all. So, I, you know, I consider myself to be in a phase of exceptional sensitivity, let's say. And... Uh, Social media kind of exacerbates that in a lot of respects. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm totally fine. I miss the days of like setting up at a convention and talking with people and hearing criticisms and getting their ideas and stuff like that. I, I would prefer all interaction is that way, but it's, you know, not the world we live in. Uh, in any regard, to get to Jerry's question more succinctly, um, Frankenslices are, you know, a loss leader, and it is so much labor, and it is on some level dissatisfying, but it is a net positive for me. And a lot of it is what Eric kind of touched on, the spontaneity. Um, I think the other reality is I have a lot of loose pieces. That just comes with doing a glios line. And I want to find homes for those pieces, and whenever I can, I want to find a character to attach to those pieces um, it is literally like you know taking this sort of the intestines and making sausage and you get a whole nother meal out of it there is an aspect to that and while one single frankenslice sale is a loss leader 12 frankenslice sales throughout the whole year is essentially found cash 
So that's pretty good too, you know, because that just goes right back into buying new product. Um, it also, I guess, if I had to sort of trim it down to one thing, I think it's immediacy. Because if I want to introduce a character into Knights of the Slice, then I have to build, I have to know it's going to be about three months, could be even longer, to get that character into people's hands. If it's a new sculpt, you know, it could be up to a year. So by kind of using what I have in the environment and maybe a new head, which I can order and get a little bit quicker, or resin accessories, things like that, I can kind of have more immediacy to the characters that are getting me excited and that I really want to share with you guys. And so I guess that at the end of the day, that's why, you know, despite the kind of arduous process of selling Frankenslices, I guess that's why I persist in doing it. Also, you know, frictionless stuff, I say all the time, oh, you know, the best thing is when I just, I have a figure from China and it's all packed up and it's ready to go. Like Spice Fleet. You know, you're getting everything. They're ready to go. I have to bag them. There's four of them. I've got to put them all together, but they're out the door. That's easy. Too much easy is not good. A frictionless life really is quite meaningless. I'm trying to record this Dostazapod, and Bob Torres is texting me all these photos of amazing toys that people are bringing into his store asking me if I want them. How dare you derail my thinking? I'm trying to to uh, put on some entertaining content, buddy. You can't go distracting me with vintage A-wings in the package. But, hey, maybe you guys want some of Bob Torres' stuff, in which case, if you're in the tri-state area, you should go to this toy life in... Is it Wallingford, Connecticut? I think it is. This is not a sponsored uh, live read, by the way. Um, contact Bobby. Make an appointment. You can. Uh, you will wear gloves and a mask and have hand sanitizer, but you can go to his store, which does feature a lot of out-of-circulation Knights of the Slice. This Toy Life in Connecticut, brick-and-mortar store. Go check it out. Bobby, you can PayPal me for that ad. Uh, moving on, Justin Doak. Number one, it looks like there's a decent sized cavity inside Hackerman and that the belt is a separate piece that is glued in place to close him up. Is that right? If it weren't glued, would that piece stay in place? If so, I thought a clear one with slime or glitter or something inside would look very cool. Number two, did I see Cosrobot's Glios project and or am I involved with that at all? It looks like it would fit in right with Knights of the Slice. Um, no comment on number two. Number one, uh, it is not actually, the belt is not a separate piece. What you are seeing is the torso and the bottom of the torso. The sort of shelf that sits on top of the uh, plug-in. Those are two separate pieces. The belt is part of the torso and it, it, it just has sort of a little nodule that plugs in to the top of the torso and then connects with the top of the legs. Chris Black. Uh, welcome to Patreon, by the way, Chris Black. I know you're a new bee here, and I'm very happy to have you on board. Uh, I'm loving the sculpt for Hackerman, and one aspect of the figure that I particularly appreciate is his slightly more battle-ready looking leg pose. 
One of my favorite action figure lines of all time is Playmates Original Ninja Turtles. And I was wondering, is there a possibility for more battle-ready, slightly bent knee or squatted poses, sculpts in upcoming figures? Any and all squat thoughts are appreciated. Um, I love him too. I, I aspire to do more of it. It is extremely, extremely difficult to do. Um, you know, the, the problem is you sort of get locked in place the more dynamic a bend is. I think that Hackerman has achieved a really good measure of of that Playmates-esque feeling. And believe me, that's big time what I was going for. Uh, the, the problem is if you look at a lot of Playmates figures, they have a stationary pose that's really great and really dynamic with almost no range of motion and no ability for the legs to work at any other angle. And that's what I want to avoid. It's a really, really tough thing to do. Um, balance is something you may not consider all the time for figures, but is super important. And, you know, honestly, with Radic, I kind of missed the mark. And it's something that we're still kind of working on and trying to get right. You set him up and you kind of have to finagle him. You have to have him leaning slightly forward to get him to, to sit in a very, you know, flat way. Um, so it's really tough to do, and, you know, the balance can be super hard with the more bend that there is. So, I I'm with you on that. I, I think that Hackerman is, the is a really great version of that, but it's very easy to get it very wrong. Philip Barrara has a great question, and it's one I think about all the time. Uh, if I was in charge of modern Star Trek, what would I do to improve it and bring it back to its roots? Any themes and ideas you would explore? Um, so it sounds like the new series they've announced with Captain Pike is exactly that, right? Because we've now had more than a decade of the sort of bad robot Star Trek. And I love Star Trek 2009. I was watching it earlier today. I think that it's a, re it's a really good lesson in how to accomplish a lot with a very tight script. Um, I think it's been a diminishing return as, as each iteration of the Bad Robot track comes out. Um, they suck more and more, with Picard, to me, being completely unwatchable. Uh, you know, I don't think Trek needs, like, that stupid-ass flying scissor kick that a female character's doing that has to be in every Marvel film and, and now has to be in Trek. It's not, this is not an action property. Now, Abrams made the right call with Star Trek 2009 in injecting more action, more Star Wars into Star Trek. And it worked for that one film, like I said, with a diminishing return thereafter. Um, Discovery, which I really gave a shot, I got through all of season one and most of season two, falls into the same problem. The, the most, the, the best Discovery episode was when they go to that planet that's very... Uh, old-timey Earth, and there's a slight mystery they have to figure out, and there's not, like, you know, morbid characters and, you know, grimdark uh, vehicles and ultra-violence and torture. Like, we've had now more than a decade of, of that, you know, that look for Trek, and it, it just sucks. And it particularly does not work today because we are living in a grimdark future. 
So Trek, to me, what I would do is get back to Planet of the Week or Creature of the Week. Get back to the exploration. Have a simple type mystery every episode. You know, have charismatic leads that are happy. You know, Michael Burnham, I don't think she smiled the entire, you know, the entire arc of that character. What I have also been watching uh, TNG from the beginning in commemoration of Spice Fleet launching. And you can download and read the sort of story Bible for TNG and, and the rules of the universe. It's really great. It's out there on the internet. Um, basically, TNG is a family drama, right? And it is all about people highly competent at their job who who are capable of feeling joy. That's another thing that makes characters great. You want them to feel joy. They can't be depressed and crying all the time. Uh who are working as a team to overcome really big things. And there's not a ton of interdisciplinary sort of argument or things like that. They they generally get along pretty well. And, you know, I think that that's, that's the, the core problems with Trek at this point. One, it doesn't need to be dark and, you know, explore torture and shit like that. We have Battlestar Galactica, which did that, and it did a much better job of critiquing those things. We don't need flying scissor kicks and kung fu and action like that. Trek works best when it's like a naval battle. You know, Wrath of Khan. You don't even have Khan and Kirk in the same room ever. And it's a fantastic movie. Um, And then exploring. Give us a mystery. Give us something to solve. Give us a beacon we can't figure out the messaging of and we have to decode it. That's all. It's, It's like so overthought and overwrought. It's, you know, it's just lost my interest completely. (laughs) So that's what I would do. Get back to give us an optimistic future because everybody would really like to spend time in an optimistic future. Um, Go explore. Find interesting aliens. Find sexy aliens. That's fine too. And uh, have people who are happy and good at their jobs. It, It truly would be science fiction. Paul Weyer, uh, lore-wise, is there a classic knight equivalent to hyper-noir? Uh, great question. So hyper-noir is the sort of, like, army builder of, uh, the hyper-knights. There, there is not a army builder generic character for Knights of the Slice, with the rationale being that each knight is sort of in charge of a certain franchise within the network of the pizza shunt restaurants. And so that allows for endless iterations in different concoctions and and personalized localized knights like we have the Silver Lake Knight you know we have the LA Knights we have uh you know Vice Knight in Miami so um there there has never been just a generic knight uh interesting though I you know I've never really felt the urge to do one but it is kind of an interesting premise to ruminate on Gabe Tovar, who would win in an arm wrestling contest? No special abilities, no interruptions, just Raddick and Hackerman, man-to-man, just pure strength. Um, that's a really tough question. So, obviously, like, physicality-wise, Raddick is a bigger, I, I, I should say, more well-defined opponent, right? He has more musculature. Um, Hackerman, however, as you guys will see, as we get close to sort of revealing some of the story. Uh, 
they do not necessarily register pain in the same way. So the limits that would stop somebody like Raddick from, say, breaking his arm in a strenuous task may not register for Hackerman. So it's really tough to say what is, what is like, the ingredient that would win. Is it, you know, a, a numbness to pain? Or is it, you know, knowing your limits? I, I, I really, I don't have an answer, and that's, it's a really good question. Um, I guess I would like to know from you guys what you think. Who would win, with no tricks being played, who would win in a sit-down arm wrestling match between them? Matt Bennett says... What's your opinion of G.I. Joe Sigma 6, and do I have a favorite figure from that line? I absolutely do. Um, I think... I may be wrong on the name, but I think Outback. There was a a sort of Australian-looking guy. Uh, He came with a machete and a rifle. It's got a really great color scheme. I think it's Outback. I want to say it's Outback. And I also think he came with an alligator, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, That was really great. The, The... when they started to kind of do action team, you know, more adventurous uh, sort of later wave of Sigma-6, I thought that was really cool. I liked the line. I supported it. I bought a ton of those figures. I even bought the smaller scale 2.5-inch figures. Um, it's an interesting footnote in G.I. Joe history. I think that they made the right choice, Whereas, like, G.I. Joe Extreme made the wrong choice in that they didn't have classic characters. I still hold firm that if G.I. Joe Extreme used classic characters in that format, it actually might have worked in a different way. Um, so, you know, I generally I think pretty favorably of them. I don't have a ton of them left. I think I only have that Outback and then a custom Solid Snake that uh, Joe Amaro made for me many years ago. John Emmett asks a question, which I swear he asked before and I missed. I, rem- I distinctly remember finishing recording a previous Dostazapod and saying, wait, somebody asked me about animation and I totally missed it. So thank you for posting this again, if that is the case. Uh, if Knights of the Slice was an animation, what style would it be and who would be the lead animator or animation sh- uh, studio? Um, he just watched Madhouse's Redline and can imagine a crazy action film starring the Knight, Raddick, Simon, and company in a frantic style. Um, I would want to work with Sun Creature Studios. Um, you guys can watch Tales of Elythrion and their reward on YouTube for free. It's fantastic. They also produced two different very short animation tests for me. Uh, they did a Drone Riders, Rex Gannon, and Vaughn little vignette that I used making the sort of animation pitch circuits to all the studios in LA and New York. And uh, they also did a MoFo's short for most management, which I storyboarded and did the concepting for. Um, I love those guys. I think they're super talented. I believe they're Danish. And um, that would be my first pick. And I, I actually don't think it would take very much money to get something like that off the ground, it would just take a ton of my time, focus, and brain power, which is why we haven't done it yet. But um, that would be my pick. I would want it to look exactly how they do it. It's almost a, a sort of on-the-cheap, sketchy sort of feel to it, but that's okay. As long as it's frantic and the energy's right, I know that that would be the right studio for it. John Emmett asks, will we see more ethnicities in Knights of the Slice? I know you have done a few so far. 
um, one of the Adam Rift killers off the top of his head. But more will always be welcome, absolutely. Uh, I actually, you know, as of recording this, you guys have probably seen the fourth character from Spice Fleet. He is, in fact, an African-American male. Although, I wouldn't say American, because he is a hyper knight, right? They may not have an America the way we have America. Um, there are plenty more coming down the pipeline. Uh, I like just aesthetically using a lot of different skin tones. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's just better. It reflects the diversity of the world we live in. And, uh, that's a pretty great thing. So yes, you can, uh, you can look forward to more of that. I actually, I wanted, uh, Radic, this Vice Radic that we just did, I wanted him to have a beautiful caramel tone. As a shout out to all, all my friends who have matriculated from all points south to Florida, where I used to call my home. So, there you have it. I am certified not a racist. Eric Valverde comes in with a good question. You mentioned a while back that the Trilo King, his true form would be too large, complex, costly to materialize relatively. Recently, you mentioned he will appear in Turbo A. Told. Did I did I mention that? Um, is that just in comic book form, or do you have one of those other multiple figure renditions cooking up? Um, so, I, I guess that my big challenge is the Trilobite King is, go, is a big deal, right? And I want to do it right, and I want to give it the gravity it deserves, but we, we still have quite a few things to get through before we even meet him. There's a reference to him in Turbo Eto, to be clear. Um, by the time Turbo Atoll is done, maybe this figure or whatever it is could have materialized because it, it is quite some time in the future. Um, I, I have, I guess the current state is I have ideas of how I could sort of execute this idea. There are different forms of the Trilobite King, but his sort of natural state is, it would be enormous. It would be like the size of, you know, Jabba's sail barge or something like that. So it's something I'm thinking about. It's not something I have a firm idea or commitment to. And like I said, you know, he's he's quite a ways down the road. There are much more immediate threats that are going to be happening and, and, you know, confronting the knights before too long. John Walsh, one of the reasons I love Knights of the Slice is that it combines almost every sort of toy line slash cartoon, comic, etc. into one world. Is there a specific type of figure or genre that you want to explore, but for whatever reason, uh, you haven't done it yet? Um, yeah, there's tons. I mean, every every sort of, you know, sci-fi or fantasy genre I, I want to explore. Uh, I've wanted to do kind of like... Like, uh, like not even Viking, but like Beowulf era, you know, like very, very early ages. Um, I wanted to do Bronze Age characters. I, you know, I want to do cavemen. I, I, I've always thought about how I would approach a samurai figure, um, but that has a ton of design challenges. They're not really, you know, I have a hard time picking a samurai figure that's out there that does it right and and maybe that's because it can't be done right you know you either have a lot of loose pieces for the different folds of armor that don't inhibit uh, 
the waist movement and therefore are kind of floppy and maybe fall apart. Or you just have a solid hunk that doesn't really move because of the, you know, different armor pieces that kind of hold it in place. So that's kind of a daunting one that, you know, I haven't quite figured out how that would look or what it would be like. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, any specialty genre, it's a pretty good chance I'm interested in doing it. Lance Tomimoto. What is my favorite comic of all time and what is my favorite original Nintendo game? Uh, for Nintendo game, I guess it would be Mega Man 2 because of the sort of second controller cheats you could do. I was terrible at games, so any cheat was greatly appreciated. And the fact that you could play that whole game using the cheat um, really was a game changer for me, you could say. Uh, regarding my favorite comic book, I think it's probably... Uh, what if Wolverine was King of the Vampires? Uh, really fantastic. I think we did a toy pizza episode on it, so you can go and check that out. Um, just a small story, really great, amazing sort of variations of characters in there. The Punisher has this look in that that is so fucking cool. Go read the comic and you'll see. Uh, I guess that's that's probably what I would pick. James Davis has a lightning round for me. Who's the best live action Batman and why is it Keaton? Subtitled or English dub and best topping on French fries. Uh, Keaton, of course, I, I just think he's he's a phenomenal actor. I would actually like, you know, they should do sort of Batman Beyond and have Keaton be Bruce Wayne because he's, you know, he's perfect for it now. Um, I'm going to say subtitled, although I don't watch a lot of stuff because I'm usually doing something alongside that, usually you know, making boxes or drawing or sketching. So subtitles are preferred, but if it has subtitles, I'm probably not going to be able to read them or pay attention. I, I don't like dubbed at all. Uh, best topping on French fries, keep it simple, little salt, and uh, sugar-free ketchup. There's a ton of ketchup. There's a ton of sugar and high fructose corn syrup and ketchup. You don't need that shit. It tastes great without it. So make sure you're buying sugar-free ketchup. Circling back to a question I missed earlier. Also, by the way, if there's background noise in this episode, I do apologize. I'm in the workshop. I got the AC cranked up. It's nice and cool in here, but it does make a little bit of noise. Not sure if the mic's going to read that or not, so just figured I'd prepare your very delicate ears for that eventuality. Thank you for standing by. Anyway, question I missed from Gordon. Have you gotten much chance to draw with your new iPad and Apple Pencil? How hard has the transition been from you, from how you normally sketch? Do you think you'll use Procreate for any upcoming Knights of the Slice illustrations, or will you stick to watercolor? Uh, fantastic questions, and this sort of dovetails nicely with an earlier question about Procreate. Um, for those non-patrons, I recently reinvested some of the funds from Knights of the Slice into some new, uh, some new uh, materials, some new... What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, industrial equipment <laughs> in the form of an iPad and the Apple Pencil with the idea that I just might be able to sort of crank out more illustrated stories in quicker fashion as well as handle um, the designs that go to China, corrections on those, and the three very ambitious comic book projects we have running concurrently. So far it's been great. Um, I, I did wait quite a while 
to make the jump over to the, the newest generation iPad and the pencil. I did get to tool around with it a little bit when Michael Scottam was here. Um, gosh, I guess this was, was it last year? Might have been last year, it feels like decades ago. And I really liked the sensation of using the Apple Pencil. I think it's a very intuitive creation. Um, it's going pretty good. I, I've spent probably about 30 hours trying to learn this new program and get the intricacies of it. I would say that the Photoshop app for iPad sucks. It's not very helpful. Um, Procreate is very good for coloring and sketching and adding texture. It lacks the sort of, I guess the, uh, you know, the little editing possibilities of Photoshop. With, it, with any image I put together, there is some level of editing that has to happen, whether it's merging of layers or, you know, using an alpha channel, things like that. I find Procreate to be a little more difficult in terms of selecting a certain color in a document in, you know, uh, the paint bucket situation. I, I'm not sure I'm feeling it. It's in some ways is an improvement to just drag a color into something, but it seems very imprecise and there's a lot of backing up and retrying that I have to do. Um, I think that the brushes and the the end result of the textures and coloring that you can do is really phenomenal. And it does let me take a photograph I've, I've you know, I've uh, previously snapped and kind of add some embellishments to it that make it look very cinematic and very graphic, and I appreciate that. I have a ton of, you know, photographic reference over the years of interesting, you know, brick walls and castles and some exotic locales I've been to. So it's it's good to be able to incorporate those into my artwork. Um, for me, it's not a choice between traditional watercolor and Procreate and iPad. They're working hand in hand. Um, so I have a very, very big story, comparatively big to the little short snippets of stories I've done previously, that is going to come out for Toy Pizza Con. And it ties together every single, mostly every single exclusive figure that we have being offered. So that's going to be great. Um, it's a, a relatively ambitious story, and I did all the artwork for it, and I really like it. And I've, what I did was sort of take the iPad, photograph my sketchbook, and then bring the images into Procreate and kind of add textures, highlights, things like that. Um, with that being said, in a, a few months' time, we're going to look back at this particular story and we're going to see how bad the artwork is compared to how good, hopefully, I will get with Procreate. I am an amateur in many respects when it comes to these new tools. So um, I'm going to put it out there all the same. I think the story is really tight. I think the artwork is great. Uh, it's an interesting blend of sort of computerized art and traditional art. Some, a couple pieces of art are totally digital. Some of them are more or less untouched from their hand-drawn form. It'll be interesting to see if people can differentiate. But uh, generally, I'm feeling it. I, I like it. I like having another tool in the toolbox. I don't think I'm ever going to be fully digital in any of the art I do. Um, part of that reasoning is I like the immediacy of hand-drawn lines and sometimes I just really nail a pose or a gesture with the first very quick thumbnail. 
And while that may not be intended to be the final artwork, I sometimes, a lot of the times, I end up using that very quick, very messy line that I put down on paper. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm glad you guys are here to take this artistic journey with me. But um, so far, I would say thumbs up to the iPad and the pencil. Um, it's not going to replace my creative workflow, but it is a nice way to enhance and augment it. And I would recommend it. I know we have many creative followers. Um, if you need something to lose yourself in and you got some stimulus money, not a bad investment. I spent about $400 in total for both items. There are some sales on older generation iPads that you can take advantage of. And uh, I would love to see your art. So maybe post it in the Discord if you go down this road. Brian Doran chimes in with what sort of plastic was used for Dr. Mad's cape and where can we acquire some? Uh, Dr. Mad's cape is a vinyl cape, vinyl plastic. This is the same process that was used by Kenner to do all the wonderful capes in the original Star Wars line. Technology has not changed much in the past, uh, you know, 40, 45 years. Um, I know people missed out on Dr. Mad. His components are going to be available again. There are going to be different versions of Dr. Mad, and there's going to be a lot of vinyl capes. I ordered a bunch of them. I'm just sort of letting them sit and figuring out which characters they might be interesting to pair with. So, many more vinyl capes coming out. You don't have to worry about making your own. They will be available en masse at some time soon. Matthew Paquette echoing an earlier chorus. How do we start the backer project for the suit figure? We need a Glio suit. Another person that wants to see this uh, alleged mysterious suit man that uh, was kind of a throwaway comment a few Desazapods ago and has taken on a life of its own. I have to reiterate, if I do this, I'm probably going to go out of business. It sounds like a very expensive tool to make. I don't know that there is a wide appeal for a very pedestrian character in a what would probably be admittedly a very nice suit but we're in the business of action superheroes sentai warriors time traveling despots um how does a average you know salaryman fit into that picture i guess that's a that's a bigger philosophical question Chris Laura says, I'm sure this has been asked a million times, but a new squire asked me if there's a visual archive of all older releases, and I couldn't remember. Um, the wiki is pretty damn good, and shout out to Daniel, who uh, puts that together and runs that. He's done a fantastic job of collecting and collating the information that comes with drops. That's probably the closest thing to a visual archive. Um, Thomas Jonte, fellow patron, has done a really great job of putting together a text-based document featuring all releases. Um, if anyone wanted to volunteer for Thomas, I'm sure you could incorporate imagery into that pretty easily. But I do appreciate uh, both these efforts to kind of try and make sense of the rather sporadic releases that I have. Adam E. Kenyon asks, after painting a custom, what, if anything, do you use to finish the figure off with? I've made a few, and they can't take much handling, or even leaning, or resting, without immediate wear. Also, have you pondered the Leviathan lately? I have not pondered the Leviathan. To ponder the Leviathan is to become the Leviathan, and I do not want that to happen. Uh, regarding customs and sort of wear and tear, what I find that... It is not so much what you do in the painting process, it is how you prep 
the surfaces you're going to paint. Uh, so I've spoken at length about how I paint things. You can go back and read those and, and check them out. Um, you have to clean these surfaces very well and you have to wear gloves when you're painting. Reason being, there is residual dirt and oil and things on manufactured plastics and also your touch exudes oil. It gets into, you know, the surface of these things and it does affect cohesion. Now, if you wipe down every square inch of an action figure with IPA, 90%, let's say, uh, you wear gloves and you take your time and paint with many, many coats of diluted acrylic, you will have a much better chance at something that can be posed a little bit without the paint flaking off. There will be much better cohesion in those layers. The other thing is you can use a dull coat or a non-glossy spray finish to sort of seal it up. Now, none of these will give you an action figure that you can throw around and have jump from, you know, parachute to hovering semi-trailer truck. Uh, there's always going to be some wear and tear that happens with customs, but if you take those little steps, I think you'll, you'll get a lot more life out of the paint coats you're putting on there. Moving over to Facebook, Alan Ludwig Gadbois says, We support your toys. You have created a universe we want to be a part of. I know I'm very passionate for the Night of the Slice figures. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate it. Not really a question, but I do appreciate the accolades. I will, I will accept these. Thank you. Moving along, Chris Warner, what's your get-up-and-go drink? Also, what drew you to Matchbox Mission Bravo, and what's your favorite item out of the series? These are two fantastic questions. Thank you, Chris. Uh, my get-up-and-go drink is uh, basically a, an almond milk espresso. Um, I do about six ounces of heated almond milk, use one of those whisks to stir it up, make it a little foamy, and then I shoot into it about one to half an ounce of espresso. And... Uh, you know, there are different periods in my life when I am on coffee and I'm off coffee. I generally feel better when I'm not drinking coffee, but it's just so rough out there. I, I need to wake up with a hot coffee beverage. And even though I have, you know, literally an ounce, a very tiny amount of coffee in there, it, uh, it gets me going. It's a delicious beverage. And when uh, it's a little hot out, you pour that over ice and it is equal parts delicious, if not even more. So that's my go-to. Uh, during the day, I am, I'm literally chugging down unsweetened iced tea, uh, probably an unhealthy amount. Uh, I make loose leaf black iced tea with a little lemon juice, and I am just, I will go through an entire pitcher of it during the day. It's probably, look, there are, there are substances you shouldn't drink in that quantity. This is one of the less lethal things I can drink that much of. Um, but, you know, getting off of sugar really awakens your taste buds. There, if you have a lot of sugars and a lot of carbs in your diet, your taste buds are kind of dulled. And you're really not getting the full flavor, flavor profiles of things because sugar is sort of very prominent and, and can kind of overtake any other flavors or sensations. And um, I used to 
despise unsweetened iced tea. I thought it just, it tasted horrible. But now that I've, you know, been off sugar for a while, it's quite delicious. And there is, uh, you know, there's a good amount of caffeine in black tea. Not quite as much as coffee, but it still gives you a kick. And at the rate I'm consuming it, let's just say I'm flying high on the vector. Regarding Mission Bravo, uh, my favorite vehicle in the series is the helicopter. And the helicopter is great because, one, it has an open cockpit that you can put a, um, a diaclone-sized figure in if you want to, but also because it has a, a wedge and a pulley with a magnet on the end. And it comes with a sort of artillery gun that you can that has a metal plate and you can pick it up and carry it around. But that magnet sensation is so great. I, I just love, you know, I think of like Blacktron, Lego, and all the awesome uses of magnets and toys. Starcom, of course. Um, and this is another great one. So that's a very easy pick for me. I got into the line because it was clearanced out at insanely low prices, I think, at Toys R Us. Um, boy, it must have been around 2000 I remember going back home to Connecticut to visit family and going in the Toys R Us and all of the sets were like a dollar. And so I loaded up on them and I truly thought, what a fantastic line this is. I, I never bought it at full price at retail. Um, and uh, it's a great one. It still holds up. Craig Thornton asks, have I ever danced in the devil? No, fuck, I fucked that up. Have I ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Uh, no, I only dance by myself on camera for tokens. Evan Spears, any chance of some Star Wars homages down the line? I can see it now. Classic Knight Stormtroopers, Hyper Knight Vader with Vinyl Cape, Device Ninja Jedi Knights, Desert Rat Han Solo, Cyber Mama Leo with Vinyl Cape, Radic Chewbacca, Vector Jump with Gold Body and White and Blue Armor for C-3PO R2-D2 mashup, a Battle Tribes crossover to get a Wii Yoda. I'd buy that with my money. Uh... Evan, I hate to break it to you, I really, I've fallen out of love with Star Wars. I have no interest in doing that, I have to be honest. I think there are going to be other Star Wars homages in the Glyos universe. Um, it's just, I, I feel nothing for it. I feel no urge to go and do it. Even with The Mandalorian, which I think is really great, and arguably the best Star Wars spin-off outside of the original movies, um, I feel nothing for it. I'm much more interested in Star Trek. I'm I'm truly the worst kind of nerd. We got our first question from a new squire of the slice, PK Mates. I think he also has joined us on Patreon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this was my first time participating in a drop. Picked up the Last Stand Desert Rat and a Deluxe Ice Rat. Thanks for the fun. Thank you, PK. We are super excited to have you here. Everybody's always on the Facebook group very welcoming when we announce our new followers. Seems to be more and more of them every week. And, uh, you know, I'm happy that uh, you've joined our community and I'm, I'm happy that people are so welcome. If you're looking for older style figures, I recommend posting that in the Facebook group or on the Discord and just have a concise list of what you're looking for. With pictures is always best. And um, I guarantee you there's at least one or two Squires of the Slice out there that want to help you get the figures you're looking for. Lucas Ward asks, how was the production this year during the pandemic, and did the pandemic affect which figures could be painted? Um, yeah, I, you know, the effects of the pandemic are ongoing and will continue to be ongoing for the foreseeable future. We are talking multiple years there are going to be ripples from this. Um, 
It definitely did affect paint, as I think people have picked up on and I might have spoken about before. Typically, I like to introduce a figure as fully painted. You know, whenever I can, I do that first. What we've had to do this year is introduce unpainted material style figures and then follow up shortly thereafter with painted figures. Now, in the case of something like Radic, the shortly thereafter ended up being several weeks, which is not ideal. You want to sort of strike while the iron is hot. Now, thankfully, people have been patient and responded well to the sales of these figures. But yeah, it's uh, the, the way this has affected how I do business is multifaceted and unending. And there's tons of things going on behind the scenes, a lot of maneuvering, a lot of, you know, zigging and zagging to just try to keep the train on the tracks. Um, my factory teams have done an incredible job. They have made up for lost time wherever they can. They are all working under duress. And, uh, you know, I, I truly appreciate it. It is, it's a bad scene, you know? It's a bad scene and it's not gonna get better anytime soon. Hopping back to Patreon for a second. DP Workman says, are you familiar with Jimmy Guyrich's, Guy Guyrich? Don't know how to pronounce that. Apologies. Jimmy Geigerich's work. You guys seem like a match made in heaven. Would love to see a collab. So I looked up this artist. He is pretty damn cool. I like his stuff. I, I had never heard of him or seen his work before. He definitely has a fun, gory playfulness to him. So I, I understand your comparison. And uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll work together. But thank you for turning me on to uh, his body of work. I appreciate it. Back to Facebook for a Snake Pike question. The turban head for Last Stand Desert Rat reminds me of the Subsidy Guard Desert Rat. Did that figure have any influence on the Last Stand Desert Rat? Did the Last Stand Desert Rat have a Matt Doughty head that was separated from the figure? Is that just the figure in the turban head produced? Also, what was my favorite movie of 2019? Uh, to answer the easy question, I, I think I go with Parasite. I do think that was a phenomenal movie. I would probably put uncut gems underneath that and then the joker and other than that i can't remember a single film i watched it feels like 2019 was a decade ago honestly um no the last stand desert rat what i was trying to do was to have a essentially a, a harlem hellfighter figure for those who don't know who the harlem hellfighters are you should absolutely look them up they were an all african-american um uh Battalion, platoon, I don't know the, the correct terminology. Division, squad, I'm sure Chris Warner will <laughs> chime in. Um, that was active during World War II, and I think, sorry, World War I, and I believe World War II as well. So I wanted to have a figure that reflected that. The quote-unquote Matt Doughty or Corriger head uh, is going to be utilized for something very special in the future, so it is not included with The Last Stand Desert Rat. Also, guys, there are not many left in stock, and uh, if you want that figure, you better hop on it. In fact, by the time this Destazapod is published, it could very well be sold out for eternity. Moving along to Lance Tomimoto, I finally ordered an original Rex Gannon. What was the name of the series he was from again? Also, roughly how many do you think you have left in stock from that recovered dead stock you found years ago? Have a great day, Jesse. Thank you, Lance. Uh, Rex Gannon was part, or analogous to, 
Versaurus and later Plan B Toys' Special Forces. Um, so I still think these are really fantastic military and, and first responder figures. They're a little antiquated in terms of the amount of articulation they have, but the sculpts are great. The accessories are great. A worthy line that is, you know, you should check it out, but secondary market prices can be pretty expensive. So, um, that's that. That answers that question. In terms of how much stock I have left, I will be selling that Rex Cannon figure for the rest of my life. I have a ton of inventory. That's why it's so cheap. Uh, but I do always appreciate when new people find out about that figure. I mean, stacking it next to uh, present-day Marvel Legends, it, you know, it's kind of goofy and quaint in comparison, but it doesn't look entirely out of place. So not a bad figure to army build on the cheap if you're into the six-inch scale figures. Cliff Uchida, my good friend Cliff Uchida. Cliff, I'm, I'm going to miss that we don't get a photo together at DesignerCon this year. If I'm not mistaken, I think past two years we've been able to snap a pic and if I'm remembering correctly we got to do one in front of the fountain outside of the Anaheim Convention Center last year unless that was the year prior it's all sort of blurring together in any case Cliff I miss you I hope you're well hope you're staying safe Cliff says any news on that acid rain world collab you were working on will there be a subsidy supply drop or something similar to it next year um I have no comment today but I would invite you to check out our Toy PizzaCon online 2020 live stream, which will be happening on July 11th, and perhaps I can speak to the opportunity at that moment. Moving along, I'm going to embarrass myself here with a, a question from Chris Solis. Which of the Berlin Trilogy by Bowie is best, Low, Heroes, or Lodger? And Chris, I'm going to reveal to the audience that I am a inexcusably superficial David Bowie fan. Uh, as much as I love him and love his work, I know very little. I have very little sort of deep dive knowledge of his albums. I know his hits. I know the songs that that everybody loves. My era of Bowie that I'm more familiar with was him in the sort of mid to late 90s when he was experimenting with electronic music. Um, his album like uh, Outside... Earthling and Ours. Those are sort of the trilogy, I guess, his electronic trilogy. That is more my familiarity with David Bowie. And I I think that's kind of a shame. I don't know why that is, but that's... Outside was actually the first... It might have been Ours was the first David Bowie album I bought. Um, but I had Outside and I had Earthling as well. Those were sort of like um, CD warehouse finds. And I really loved, you know, uh, that tour he did with Trent Reznor, which I did not go to, was really like a, a catalyst point for, I guess that must have been 95, 94, 95. Um, that really got me interested in David Bowie. And uh, the video in particular for Heart's Filthy Lesson, I remember watching over and over again. I think I had a VHS recording of it. Um, so I am sort of a... A acolyte of Bowie from a much different era and an era that not a lot of people like uh, and it's understandable a lot of those songs don't really hold up they're kind of bad but um, that's my excuse if I have to pick again on a superficial level I'll go with heroes because I know that song and I like that song Lance swoops back around 
for another attempt at a fatality. Also, not really a question, but I enjoy your rundown of the Mission Impossible movies. Can you please do more movie series? To me, the third Mission Impossible movie was best. Hoffman made the most despicable villain and had the acting top chops to pull it off. I was generally thrilled in his demise. Plus, Maggie Q was in it, and I have to support Hawaiian people. She went to my high school. Uh, she went to high school with my cousin, he says. Uh, first one was really great too, had the best pacing, and was a legit thrill ride. The most recent one was almost unwatchable at the end. I love Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, but the escalation of threats got too ridiculous. Karate fighting to the death on a cliff after dogfighting in a helicopter chase. Get the fuck out of here. Um, I don't think I've actually finished watching the last one. I find, you know, Tom Cruise has quite a bit of say in the Mission Impossible franchise. You know, I believe... He's an, he might even be an owner of the property in some respects, uh, but he is a producer and, and has a lot of sway. I find it very weird <laughs> that, you know, there's this big long scene with Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill going into a men's room, looking on an app, trying to, to track down another man. Read between the lines on that if you want to. Um, just a very odd choice. Of, uh, of scenes, although who could blame, you know, having a crush on Harry Cavill, especially with that cute mustache, right? Um, I don't know if I'm going to do other movie series. I, stuff that's non-toy related, I tend to just organically want to talk about. I, I hate sort of uh, promising, you know, for future content based on stuff that's not like in my everyday. So I think I'll keep it kind of loose and free, but I do intend to finish watching all of the Mission Impossible movies, and um, hopefully it doesn't do too much brain damage, but no promise there. Daniel Smith asks, when will there be another Hackerman release? Toy PizzaCon will be another Hackerman release, so don't you worry about that. To close us out, I got uh, some email questions from Matt Connolly. Now, I, I typically miss these emails uh, because I also am getting, you know, hundreds of emails about orders and shipments and things like that. So, uh, Matt, if you want to, just post up on the Facebook or on the Patreon so I don't miss these in the future. Um, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to answer all of these, but let me see if I could pick out a couple of these and uh, just speak on them. Azulato, regarding, after rereading the story, is he the Q version of Grasshopper Knight or Cray Drake from Jagged Age? I like where your head's at, but I will not say. Um, Vect, is it made by Marson and the evil doctors who created Hackerman? How much does it cost, and is anyone immune to the power of Vect? Um, I'm glad you are thinking about Vect. Vect does have a role in the upcoming Turbo Atoll story, so something you guys should be curious about. It's not something I'm going to speak to today, but uh, you know that it will come up again in the near future. Uh, can a Vecpire ever be returned to their original self, or can they turn others into Vecpires to create their own bonded legion of minions? Uh, these are fantastic questions. In truth, these are not questions I have answered for myself yet. I have to sort of get to a opening where I see uh, a chance for us to revisit our crestfallen friend 
reach wiser. Um, we're gonna we're gonna going to run into some of those characters from that short story very soon. I have yet to decide our next intersection with Reed and how that's going to go down and what it will entail. But um, these are definitely questions I'm asking myself. I don't yet. The, the path has not appeared in front of me in terms of uh, what the answer will be. So that is going to do it for Hardestazapod today. I did check Wikipedia and the Hellfighters were a regiment. That was the word I was looking for. Worthy of a deep dive. Honestly, guys, great chapter in American history. Um, and I'm happy that now we have a, a little homage to a very important regiment in uh, our military's history. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for the excellent, absolutely stellar turnout for the Subsidy Supply Drop finale. Almost a year in the making. Pretty incredible. Everybody's been super patient. You guys really came out strong for the pre-order in November, and you all came out again for the finale. I appreciate that. We're going to rejigger and figure out how pre-orders and things like that are going to work in the future. There's a massive overhaul that's going to happen with Patreon and Action Figure of the Month Club starting in January. Uh, You know, a lot of work to be done. Now that we've gotten past these two big drops, all eyes are on Toy Pizza Con July 11th. If you're a patron, you're going to have a lot of early access and surprises coming up very soon. Um, I'm thrilled. I this is a, It's going to be such a big chunk of work, and once it's done and those figures are shipped, it's going to be great. So I'm excited. Thank you guys for the endless support. Thank you, everybody, for being cheery and in good moods. And uh, the only thing left to say here, folks, is pizza out. <laughs>